0: Welcome to the Weight Loss for Fertility podcast. When you're trying to get pregnant, whether naturally or with the help of a fertility doctor, weight loss can better your chances of success. I'm Dr. Stephanie Fine, and I help you do just that. Let's go. Hello, fabulous. It's Dr. Stephanie Fine here with Weight Loss for Fertility. I am so excited. Urges really are the key to food freedom. That's the title of this podcast, Urges, the key to food freedom, because when we understand urges and how to transform them, we literally get freedom around food. You can be standing in the middle of every snickerdoodle cookie you've ever loved and you can decide what you want to do about it. It will not have a huge pull on you. Now, actually, I'm saying that and I'm thinking there are some exceptions to that, <laughs> depending on your brain and how it is affected by sugar and flour that actually can can factor in there. But we're not talking about that right now. I actually always bring that up when there's exceptions. I do that on purpose. And the reason I do that is because I want you to know nothing is all or nothing. It's true that most things, and I'd say 99.99% of things are not just one way or another. They're not always this way or always that way, especially when we're talking about the things we talk about here, behavior, decisions, brain, food, feelings, feeling full, satisfied, all that sort of stuff. On our way to behavior change, it's not perfect. And that was something we brought up last episode. So last week, I talked to you about a follow-up to my habit change. So the habit change was moving from eating lunch on the couch in front of the TV to the table which really helped me be able to tune into my hunger cues and the most specifically the hunger cue I was looking to get better at noticing is plus two enough. So when I was in front of the TV, it was really easy to be distracted and not notice. So when I moved to the table, problem solved. Amazing. And the original episode was episode 17, where I highlighted the timeline of a habit change. And I loved that because knowing what a habit change looks like makes it easier for us to have grace for ourselves when we're muddling through the change. You know, again, this idea of it takes 2 seconds or it should happen overnight. It doesn't. I wanted you to see what the timeline is for for behavior change, and that's what we highlighted in episode 17. And the importance of that it might we might muddle through it is because it will be then sustainable change, which is what I'm showing you last week in that it's over been over 6 months since I started the behavior change. Okay. And I want to show you what it looks like so that you don't give up too soon. Because sometimes we think, oh, I should be able to do this in a week, 28 days, whatever the, you know, habit change lore that's out there. But I wanted you to have an example of what it looked like so you don't give up on yourself. You don't give up too soon. You have more faith that change is possible, even if it looks messy. We're not used to things looking messy, especially when we decide them and we sort of make them happen. It doesn't work quite that way when we want sustainable results, especially in weight loss. So go back and listen to last week. That's when I talked about what it looks like six months later. And I give you a window into what that habit looks like now. And it's getting more and more solid. I give you a bird's eye view of what one sort of wobble looked like and it's all very normal it's perfectly normal but that wobble was an opportunity to show you you know that there will always be the voices telling us to do our old habits but how much pull they have and how much we are drawn by them is the thing that can change and so then we landed last time we landed on the moment that i really want to talk about which is an urge so it was that and in this in the example that I gave last time this whole couch to table thing. The urge was the moment when I said, I wanna eat on the couch. My brain said that. Now I didn't, I mean, I ended up saying it out loud, but my brain offered the idea, let's go eat on the couch. Now, when I had that thought, it created the urge, okay? And I'm gonna break this down because it's so useful to understand what an urge is, why it's so powerful, and how to transform them from mandates, from like a direct order from our brain to an easily ignored suggestion. So an urge can feel so strong, almost like we have no control over it, and we can transform it into just a little sort of like a gnat, like an annoying thing you just sort of flip away, it's just not a big deal. This is how we develop the skill of being around our favorite foods and not feeling out of control. This is the magic, this urge work. It's one of the main tools we use to get true freedom around food. Okay. So that's where we're going to dive in today. So first, what is an urge? Okay. We talked about a little bit at the end of last episode, but it's a feeling, it's an impulse. So remember a feeling is the actual sensation in our body. Like literally there, it's literally vibrations in our body. It could feel like tingling. It can feel a tightness. It can feel like nausea. It can feel like a knot. It can feel warm. It can, there, there's so many ways. These are the only ways our body has to communicate with us, right? They, they give us physical sensations and they're telling us something. With the hunger scale, we're looking to translate those physical sensations into a hunger scale. When I have these symptoms, I know that I'm at negative two. When I feel this way in my body, I'm at plus two. That is one of the, it has us accessing our feelings and accessing our feelings in our body, noticing them, being able to interpret them, taking a moment to discover what they are, checking in with them, the whole idea that, oh, my body has something to tell me. All that is done with the hunger scale and it translates, it, it works in this other way too. Frankly, in any way where we're paying attention to the sensations in our body. And feelings is one of those ways. So an urge is sensations in the body. It's a, it's like a pull. I was trying to describe it last time. It's almost unconscious. To be. it's fast usually. Like an urge is just a pull and it's like an itch and then you scratch it, like itch, scratch, itch, scratch. It's almost unconscious. It happens very quickly for most of us. And especially in the beginning before we even are thinking about changing it it's very fast. Now, I want to also mention cravings here, because sometimes people think of urges and cravings as the same. And to me, they are not. An urge is is much faster than a craving. A craving can be something like you're thinking about your favorite milkshake, and you're wondering when you're going to go get it, and like that. An urge is more like an impulse. Happens right away. And to me, an urge is trickier to deal with than a, than a craving. And, you know, with the way we lose weight around here, a craving is total. there's no problem with a craving. You just plan when you're going to go have the milkshake that you love. And in fact, you know, I'd, I'd rather that you plan to have your very favorite than try to, you know, sometimes we'll do that. Like we have our very favorite and we feel terrible about getting our very favorite. So we start having all the cruddy ones around and now we've had four milkshakes instead of just the one good one. So anyway, cravings are totally different. I probably will do a whole podcast on that if I haven't done that already. So an urge is different. An urge feels immediate, okay? That's the general idea of what the urge feels like. Now, I want to remind you about, we, we talk about cognitive behavioral therapy here because it's so important. The brain has so much to do with how we deal with food and therefore weight gain and weight loss, okay? So I want to remind you that all feelings, we just discussed that urge is a feeling, a sensation in your body, all feelings come from a thought first. So first you think something and it creates the sensations in your body. Truly, there's, so there's like you know dopamine and, and other neurotransmitters and hormones and everything, they're released because of a thought in our brain. And that's important to know because the urge was created for me by the th- sentence, I want to eat on the couch. So I felt a, a pull to do that. So then that pull had me going to the couch and eating there if I did th- when I was doing that. But other thoughts that can lead to urges are very simple sentences. They're not like, my mother neglected me and so I need a cookie. It, it, th- those aren't, that's not what we're talking about, right? With the urges, it's usually a very, very simple sentence like, that looks good. Like when the brain says, that looks good, we're, we always just reach out and grab it and eat it. Or I want more. It's such a simple sentence, but those sentences are coupled with that urge feeling. They create an urge in us. And when we, a lot of the times we're unconsciously thinking these things, I want more, that looks good, or it's just so, it's so ingrained, we barely notice it and it just leads to the urge. But the reason it's such a strong connection to I want more and then just eating more is because it's so practiced. It's a super deep brain groove because every time you said to yourself, I want more, you had more. So it's I want more, you eat more. I want more, you eat more. So it's a connection very strong in your brain and that it's a coupled response. So like every time in the past when you've wanted a scone at Starbucks, you just got it. Like, ooh, scone looks good. And then you buy it. Scone looks good, you buy it. Scone looks good, you buy it. And like, you keep doing that and it creates a coupled response in the brain, a neuropathway. Want, get, want, get, itch, scratch. That's how it goes. And so this is like, and this is a great example that I use a lot is Pavlov's dog. I don't, it's a psychiatric psychology principle and Pavlov was a researcher many, many years ago. <laughs> anyway, what he discovered was that he was experimenting with dogs, and when the real way that it happened is the women who brought the dogs food wore wooden clogs, and the clogs make a noise when they were walking in. And so the dogs started to couple the clog noise with food, right? Which is, of course, smarter than them, because when the clogs were coming down, that meant food was coming down. Amazing. So what happened is with the clogs, they started salivating. Preparing for food, thinking of food, because they heard the clogs, now they think of food. Now, the way he started doing the experiments was ringing a bell. So, you may remember that from like, you know, classes 101, psychology classes 101. It was a, so he started coupling the food with the bell. So, he'd ring the bell, give food, ring the bell, give food, ring the bell, give food. The dogs started salivating. And what he would then do is just ring the bell and the dogs would salivate, even if he didn't give food. So that's where we could have an urge, even if we don't fulfill it. We're just, we, we've now coupled it so that I want I want it or Starbucks, we think of Starbucks, we want a scone. It's, it's such a strong couple. Now, the reason why that's important is because then we can look at, well, how did Pavlov uncover stimulus and response? Because he was able to do that. So the way that it happened was that he would ring the bell and not give the food. Ring the bell, not give the food. Ring the bell, not give the food. Now, at the beginning, the dogs were salivating even with the ring, even though there wasn't food. But over time, they stopped salivating. They deconditioned the response to the ringing of the bell as the stimulus. We can do the same thing because our brains work just like the dog's brains. (laughs) It's very similar. Now, the thing about the dogs is, Well, as far as we know, I mean, I don't know. I don't think that this happens this way. Dogs are very, it feels like they're very open. Their energy can be very open. It doesn't seem like they were resisting the feeling that when the bell rang, they did not get food. Now, that's not entirely true. They walked around. They did feel a discomfort when the bell rang and they didn't get food, but they dissipated it by moving which by the way, works really well. So we can learn a thing or two. Ducks do the same thing when they have a lot of emotion, like they ain't gotten a fight. They'll flap their wings really strongly. And anyway, that's a, an aside, but they don't resist it. The Pavlov's dog did, didn't resist it. They just dealt with it. The way they dealt with it was walking around, jumping, but they did not resist it. And that's important for us to know because when we're going to decondition our urge response, So the way we do that is by allowing the urge to be there. So if we're in Starbucks and we're used to getting the scone, this time the sentence in our brain will come, "Ooh, scone looks good, or let's get a scone, or whatever the sentence is that creates the urge that has you buying the scone every time. You notice that the sentence will be there because it will, because your brain is conditioned. So it's going to spit out that. You walk into a Starbucks, it's going to spit out that sentence. Okay, there's nothing we can do about that part now. It's already been coupled, so it's already going to do it. But what we can do at that point then is allow that urge feeling to be there. And like with the dogs and like with us, it's a little uncomfortable because it feels like a pull. It, feel, it has a, you know, you'll start to notice what that sensation feels like. Yeah, it's a little uncomfortable. Tightness, you'll feel it. It's a little uncomfortable. But here's the good news. Feelings not resisted. So if we resist feelings, they persist. They will stick around. They'll sort of fight. The resistance fights them. And then now they're both staying longer than you want. But if you don't resist it, if you're like, oh, this is my urge feeling, you're saying this inside your head. You certainly can say it out loud. The people at Starbucks might (laughs) support you in your urge work. But you notice that the urge is there and you allow it to be there while not buying the scone. Do you see how this is different than beating yourself up not to buy it, using willpower not to buy it, using restraint not to buy it? You're not saying, don't buy it, don't buy it, don't buy it. You're not doing that. You're allowing that feeling to pass through you. And a non-resisted feeling takes only about 60 seconds. Like that's the half-life of all the chemicals that go off from your brain's thought, which is fantastic because you can handle 60 seconds. It is will feel very strange to not get the scone. If that's the couple we've created, you know what I mean? It will feel odd. It won't feel familiar, right? The familiar feeling is buying the scone. The unfamiliar feeling, this discomfort, the uncomfortable feeling will be to not get a scone. It won't be tightness. It won't be resistance. It won't be restricting. It won't be fighting yourself. It will be, I'm changing my response to an urge. I don't actually want the scone because I feel terrible afterwards or I get really hungry because of the insulin spike or, you know, what, whatever it, that is true for you, or I'm going to have a glass of wine tonight with my friend at dinner, so I don't want to have the scone this morning. You know what I mean? The decisions that you've made ahead of time. So you're allowing the discomfort to be there. You're not buying the scone because of a, a decision you're happy with and you go on your merry way. That is allowing an urge. And when you do that over and over and over again, you remove the conditioned response from that thought-feeling combo. And then you can have that thought and not obey the urge. So we just talked about that, not obeying the urge that sort of demands that you buy it. If we sit, it will feel like that. But if we're allowing it, we can just hear the sentence, ooh, the scone looks good. Don't you want to get a scone? And you could... Ignore it, or better yet, better than ignoring is acknowledging it. Oh yeah, that scone does look good, but we're having wine tonight. And so it doesn't keep bothering you. It's been answered. And what happens is if you do this over and over again, that the strongness, the the force of that voice of of the sentence lessens over time, just like the salivation from the dogs. And then it really, it goes away. Now, it might pop back every once in a while when your brain is tired or taxed in some way, which is exactly what happened to me the other day. It popped back in. I, it really it, If it was there before, it was like a nothing. It was like a couch, and I'm like, no, we don't do that. But not in a mean way. Like, no, we don't do that. I can't believe you just said that to my brain. I'm not talking that way to my brain. I'm like, oh, no, no, we don't. That's not something we do anymore. Calmly, not a problem. It's not a problem my brain said it. It's not a problem I'm not doing it. No problems, but... It came back when I was tired and hungry. And then it felt like a slightly better idea. But even because it had been six months out, it, it wasn't totally, it was a little surprising that it was there, but not totally because it's a groove and it could go right back. We talked about that last week. But then it was so perfect because I had a little minute. I had a I had my speed bump of a husband saying something and I then I, that's all I needed, right? Now it wasn't comfortable. I had to allow that urge. And it was, it was, I mean, we're talking 60 seconds. It wasn't, it's not the end of the world, but it wasn't nothing either. So it takes, I don't want to oversell it like it's so hard, but it. But it's sort of an amazing accomplishment to go from never having done it to, to allowing an urge. It's, it's a little bit of a something and you can do it. And the, of course, the great news is it's nothing's terrible. Like it's not so painful. It's a discomfort. But learning to which discomforts to allow and which ones to pay attention to and all that, that's a skill over time. But this allowing of the urge, it will pass and you're either coupling or uncoupling. So what I wanna say is if I did eat on the couch would my brain said that, it would have started to strengthen the coupling again. And I would have for sure, soon after that, I would have had another Thought of oh let's eat on the couch like, it, like the brain would have been like oh no we we want this again we're gonna do this again and it would offer it quicker than it had before and if I kept eating on the couch it would be very quick that I would be I would have coupled that again now I could uncouple it again but I'd have to go through that discomfort of the habit change and that's not a problem I absolutely can do that but that's another reason why if possible when that thought comes in. If we can, we want to allow it and decide the way we want rather than going back to our old habit. But it is normal that it that it might show up again, and it may surprise you, and usually honestly, it is in a time of of uh, vulnerability that's when it will happen. So of course, that makes it a little harder to deal with, but now that you've heard about it you'll you'll you may be prepared for it. So I'll add something here too. This is all brain work, right? We're using the brain's putting the way it works naturally to our advantage by by allowing the urge and uncoupling. So one thing that you can do is to keep a tally of all the times you successfully allow an urge, okay? So if you do this by the time you get to 100, now usually it's way before 100 urges, but if you have that in your mind, like if I do by the end of 100 urges, I will have uncoupled this. It's amazing. What's fantastic is your brain loves this. Like it'll get a little dopamine hit if you keep it if you like make a mark on a sheet of paper or you put marbles in a jar or pennies or something, that every time your brain will see the accumulation of the pennies or the marbles or the marks on a on a paper and it will start to like get on board and be excited about that increase rather than get upset about the uncoupling of the habit you're trying to change. So that's just another way to use our brain to our advantage. And you can do this with any urge. I just I just had an urge to procrastinate this podcast, <laughs> and I just allowed it to be there and walked in and sat down anyway. The like you'll start to notice when as you do this urge work, you'll start to notice it all over the place. It definitely happens with food, and when we're losing weight, we're particularly aware of all those urges, but it happens all, like for watching TV, for picking up your phone, for checking your email, for so many things. So this is such a valuable skill, not only for weight loss, but for, for life in general. It's such a powerful tool. I'm so happy I got to talk to you about it. So remember with urges, they just start with a usually a very simple sentence. We've coupled them with an action with the, that urge feeling in the middle of it. We want to uncouple it. And the way we do that is by allowing that feeling to be there and not doing the response. And the more we practice that, the quieter the voice will be, the smaller the urge will be. And then it'll be very easy to just not pay attention to it. So give this powerful tool a try. I'd be so happy to help you with this. I could answer any questions. If you want to work together over this, I'm happy to do that. You just DM me at Stephanie Fine MD on Instagram or contact me through my website. Happy, happy, happy to answer questions, work with you, all of it. Weight loss can be permanent and end up with feeling free around food, free, not beholden, not drawn to it, and certainly not restricted or deprived. So I can help lose weight with me. I am sending you so, so much love. If you follow, share, Rate and review this podcast. You'll be helping it reach others just like you and making their journey with weight loss and fertility just a bit easier. Lighten their load. Share in your groups and social media. Thank you, Fabulous.